0: Welcome to week four of Star Trek Sundays. I'm Victoria, and with me is my co-host T. Today we're going to be discussing psychological warfare. At the top of the room, we have pinned the Star Trek Sundays website, StarTrekSundays.com, which contains links to the episodes covering this theme that we'll be referencing today. Thank you, T, for curating a collection of episodes for us to revisit and for creating a great website. I, I can't believe we have this from last week. Um, Star Trek Sundays is a passion project for T and me and forms part of a new YouTube channel, which will post highlights from conversations on Clubhouse here. Once again, it was a pleasure revisiting the episodes and especially Chain of Command in which Patrick Stewart delivers an amazing performance. I'm really looking forward to diving into today's topic, uh, seeing where it leads us. But for now, I'm gonna turn the mic over to T.
1: Thank you so much, Victoria. Yeah. um... Uh, the website is really exciting for me. I'm very excited for that. And thank you for mentioning it Um, to to this week's topic. Psychological warfare is a rough topic because it involves messing with someone's head in a way that is very personal and disturbing. And when it was done on Star Trek, it was almost always used as a tactic to gain advantage in warfare. And uh, when the, when it was done, the effects could be really traumatic. So I thought these particular episodes did a great job of putting the use of psychological warfare in the spotlight and showing how advanced the tactics had become. So I'm looking forward to a lively discussion, a deep dive into some of these topics.
0: Yeah, it brought up a a lot of stuff for me. So we'll we'll see what kind of therapy session this turns into. Um, So thank you, T. Uh, once again, this is Star Trek Sundays up on Clubhouse, and we're discussing discussing psychological warfare. I'll be bringing people up to the stage to share your thoughts in just a few minutes, but I want to start with Chain of Command parts one and two. So, T, can you provide a summary to remind those who didn't get a chance to review it? What this, um, what the, uh, the two episodes actually, and um, and then I'll have a few questions once the summary is done.
1: Definitely, yeah. Um, Chain of Command, uh, this was probably one of my favorite Star Trek, The Next Generation episodes. Uh, Next Generation Season 6, Episodes 10 and 11, first aired on the 14th and 21st of December in 1992. So in these episodes, Picard, Worf, and Dr. Crusher are reassigned from the Enterprise to a secret mission. Meanwhile, the Enterprise is under the command of Captain Edward Jellicoe, who immediately starts making changes, much to the dismay of the crew. The captain, fa- the captain Picard's secret mission fails, leading him to being captured by the Cardassians. As he's tortured by his captors, Captain Jellico and the Enterprise attempt to prevent war with the Cardassian Union. Now, I chose this episode because the use of psychological warfare on, of because of the use of ca- psychological warfare on Captain Picard. It was a powerful display of how the writers wanted to show uh, real emotion coming from their actors, and what a powerful tool psychological warfare can be to hurt someone. In the end, the captain was effectively brainwashed by his psychological torture, and it demonstrates how something like this uh, can be used effectively in creating false memories in someone.
0: Yeah, it. Uh, <laughs> thank you for that summary. It... Um when I watch these things i I sometimes feel like an actual fear because it it just must be terrifying and and then the the having the false memories um and I'll get to the the end bit of the the show as well which was um quite impactful after wrapping up an hour and a half of watching these so Picard was tortured and he is physically tortured as well as mentally tortured and yet he Refused during and and at, even at the end to compromise on his principles, and so, you know, I guess that's they're they're taught to do that in in school. That's how you become a captain. You, you know, the crime the cream rises to the top, type of thing. But um, I'm wondering if you have uh, a principle you hold that you would refuse to compromise.
1: Yeah, I think that it's a really good question because you know. Um, I I think I would try and stand with Captain Picard in that I would try and maintain my sense of my sense of self and reality, Um, because the whole thing that he was being pressured to say was that there were five lights when really there were quite obviously four. And so what was happening there was um, he he was being pressured to let go of this principle of, you know, your, your grip on reality is is real and to let go of that, to be put in a situation where, you know, I'm being told that my, my memories are false or my, you know, what it is I'm seeing is false and, and I should believe what I'm being told over what it is that I'm being, that I'm seeing. Um, I think that's, you know, that's one of the things that I just, I really would not want to to let go of in terms of a principle.
0: Thank you. Yeah. It, it, this this did remind me of the conversation that we had last, I think it was last week or a week before, uh, with respect to Stockholm syndrome as well, um, and and so my the next thing I wanted to ask and I want to say hello to Sean. I'll bring you up in just a moment, Sean, because I'm interested in what you have to say on this as well is uh, with chain of the command. At the end, Picard confides in Troy that he was actually that he actually did see five lights at the very end, despite him saying there were only four. And I, what's going on there? <laughs> like, uh, I, was this a moment of transition where one could see what was being told to them, but was still aware of the torture and his upcoming freedom so he could respond defiantly? Like, if he saw five, it, 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 that, that that to me was interesting because it brought into, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, uh more with frame of mind but it brought in uh, for me this idea of gaslighting and tricking somebody and and how long that kind of uh mental torture can last you know we can sometimes heal not always but sometimes heal from physical wounds but the mental torture uh that kind of thing seems to last a little bit longer i'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that on that on his last uh confession to troy
1: yeah that that last scene where he um where he sat down with troy and he said that he could actually see five lights that was a that was a a, a moment you know where we're having se- having seen him go through this torture and you know a lot of the time i feel like the actors are overacting like when you got the ferengi and they're they're squiggling around and being silly right I didn't feel like, like Kirk was overacting in this situation. I felt like, or not Kirk, but Picard was overacting. I felt like Patrick Stewart really was delivering the performance of his lifetime. And then for him to sit down at the end of, of that with Troy and say, I really did believe that I could see five lights that really did, you know, give life to the reality of the situation that he was in rather than, um, Rather than, you know, than, than showing him as being this unbreakable person, he he revealed that in that moment when he was sitting there being silent, not answering the question right before they came in to let him know that he was going, being released, he was about to say there are five lights and that would have been, you know, him finally compromising and, and if somebody like that, you know, if somebody, a, a role model like that, a role model like, like Picard can compromise on, on, on those types of principles like that, under those types of situations, to me, that speaks so powerfully of the, the, the psychological torture and the, 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 the weight of what was happening and how, how deeply that impacted him. And I do have to wonder... You know, in sessions moving forward with Troy, did he bring it up again? Was it something that he he carried with him? Did he ever resolve within himself that there really were four lights, but he was about to say that there were five? And and how does that, you know, how does that affect him as a person moving forward? I think that 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 last moment with Troy was such a, such an intensely human moment that it it really left a lasting impact on me
0: agreed completely agree, agree i just i it kind of resonated with me i i you know i finished the episode and and then sat there wondering like once you know that you can be tricked like that what does it do to your confidence so um, I'll, I'll just do a, a little reset here and just say that this is the Star Trek Sunday's room on Clubhouse and we're discussing psychological warfare. Right now we're talking about the chain of command. Uh, we will get to a couple of other episodes that we um, want to review, which cover this topic. Uh, I want to welcome Piper and Sean to the stage. Um, Piper, do you have any thoughts on this episode and, and what we've just uh, been discussing? Um,
2: I mean, all I'll really say is like, I, um, I always find like media that, um,
3: deals with
2: characters and like, um, intensely kind of like stressful situations to be interesting because I've always kind of wondered how I would deal with. With a situation like that, like a, I don't know, a kind of warfare scenario or something. Um, I think everyone kind of wonders how they would deal with that.
3: But yeah, that's all I'll really say.
0: Thank you. Yeah. It, yeah. V- revisiting these episodes and, and seeing some for the first time. Um, it it does make you uh, make one the viewer go inside themselves and and uh, it brings up a lot of questions. I I I think that's what Star Trek was meant to do. So I'm really happy that um, we're able to talk about it here. Sean, what do you have to say about uh, Chain of Command this morning?
4: It doesn't take much for the human mind to be, um, to, for a human to be brainwashed, let alone under stress with torture threatened. So, um, yeah, I mean, our mind, uh, we're still learning things about the human brain. It's, you know, one of the most evolved, wonderful things on this planet, uh, it took a long time, um, what, 250,000 years to develop this, this far, but it can be damaged quite easily and it can be brainwashed if we allow it. And um, we're we're just human, you know, very fragile and weak, more than we think we are, more than Star Trek would even let us know. And that's my opinion.
0: Yeah, thank you. Uh, you said one word there that really jumped out at me, and that was damage, and um, and how much damage this. This psychological stuff can do to our heads, and and we'll perhaps get to it later um, in this conversation um, about the lasting effect of that, and and perhaps even what we do to ourselves. Um, T, did you have anything more to say on chain of command? Maybe we can move into um, the next one.
1: Yeah, I think that um, you know, like I mentioned, this was this was in my mind the. The quintessential uh, intersection between the method acting of Patrick Stewart and the brilliant writing of the writers of Star Trek, and it came together in a way that I think was memorable. Like, even if you don't remember the the, the first up, the first part in the Chain of Command, I think everyone who is familiar with the show remembers that you know there are four lights. And the thing that they remember, at least in my mind, that they would remember about it is the, the, the performance that, that Patrick Stewart delivered as, as Jean-Luc Picard. In terms of a human who is broken, I believed his performance. I thought that his performance was, you know, award-worthy. And I haven't seen a performance by Patrick Stewart quite like it in in his past or in his future career, I in my mind that was one of his absolute acting highlights, and so I'm glad that we get to celebrate him and the performance that he gave.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and and while you were talking, I, I was uh, revisiting the episode visually, and one thing that I neglected to put into my notes, which really. Struck me. Um, this was in performance as well as writing. Just everything seemed to work. And and, and shout out to um, his adversary, the person who was doing the the torturing as well. Um, the The conversation they had when uh, the torturer. For, uh, forgive me, I for, don't have his name in my notes right now, was talking about when he was bullied when he was a kid. Then Picard realizing that that is why this guy is is torturing Picard and why he's gone into that business, if you will. And and then there's subsequent conversation about that and how Picard just looks at him and said, I'll, I'll always see you as a terrified six-year-old, which was a little bit of it was some psychological defense, right? And and the actor who was receiving this from Picard did such a good job in, especially through the makeup and on all of that, of really looking like it. It it struck a chord, and those scenes. I, I was just I I was so impressed with these episodes and those scenes in that. Stark room. There really wasn't anything there. And the conversation, how impactful just two people uh, on a stage can be. And, and you're right. It It's probably something uh, I'll have to go back and, and read if Picard or if Patrick Stewart ever talked about it, because it does actually remind me of some of the best stage plays where there's just one or two people on an empty stage. And all you have is the performance. And um, yeah, it's it's really, really worth revisiting. i'll I'll probably go back and revisit it soon as well, just so that I can um, enjoy their performance and not just gathering the the parts of the story for for today. but it it was it was a it was amazing thank you well let let's move on a little bit because we can always come back and and revisit that if we have other thoughts so this is the Star Trek Sunday's room on Clubhouse and we're discussing psychological warfare the next episode that we reviewed was a little bit later in that same season I think frame of mind so T if you wouldn't mind giving us a short summary on that just to remind us and then I'll I'll dig in with a couple of questions on this, because I have a, a little bit more to say on this one as well.
1: Yeah, an- another really great one. Um, Frame of Mind, The Next Generation, Season 6, Episode 21. So the first one was uh, Season 6, Episode 10, 11. This is Episode 21 in the same season. Uh, originally aired a little bit later in uh, May th- on May 3rd in 1993, whereas Chain of Command was back in December. So there was a little bit of a gap between them. But they shared a lot of similarities because in this episode, Riker thinks he's losing his mind when reality keeps shifting between um, an alien hospital and the Enterprise where he's rehearsing a play. So in the alternate reality, he's being held captive pending trial for a violent crime. He doesn't actually remember committing. I chose this episode because at the end, it's revealed that Riker was actually captured while he was on an away mission, and everything that happened was a defense mechanism that his mind created to keep him sane during his captivity, while his captors tried to extract information from him. Crusher had to heal the damage uh, d- the damage that had uh, they had ca- caused psychologically, and even then, he still felt the need to foreclosure at the end with tearing down the play set in a symbolic act of destruction
0: yeah this one was <laughs> when I was watching this one I felt like and, and I th- think we talked about this as as well that this was his Shakespearean moment that, that he could not have been that the actor Jonathan Frakes could not have been um uh not influenced by uh, chain of command, um, but this this was an absolutely great performance and a really interesting uh, episode. I was confused during it, and and I think that I was meant to be confused. Um, I felt like I was on the ride with Riker. So it's interesting because we find out at the end that Riker's captives were trying to extract information from his mind. And uh, so, do you do you think in the future we'll be able to use technology to read people's secrets out of their mind and against their will? That's always been a fear of mine. Actually, that someone could read my mind, not just my micro expressions, um, and so. this question, you know, hits home a little bit for me. So what do you think about the future, near and far?
1: Well, I think that um, there's, uh, you know, Elon Musk and his Neuralink uh, technology that he's working on. And this is one of those really, really interesting topics that has sort of far-reaching implications. Because what he's been able to pull off is he has, you know, somebody... um, Playing a, a game with like a joystick, right? And he's got the this Neuralink technology hooked into their brain and reading their thoughts. And he, he what he's doing is he's creating a mapping between every time um, they use the the joystick and the the things that occur in their brain. And then what they do is once they've figured out enough of that mapping, they disconnect the joystick. So he's still holding the joystick and playing the game and doing the inputs on the joystick but the joystick is no longer influencing um the game and instead what they're doing is they're reading the signals from his brain and emulating the joystick uh you know moves such that he can still play the game by them reading his mind so i think that we're you know we're rapidly advancing towards this type of technology I think this has been been one of the uh, the staples in science fiction for a long time. I'm thinking all the way back to Strange Days, which was a great movie um, about you know the, this idea of we can we can record people's memories or we can capture the moment, um, or in this case, we can go back in and dig out a, a memory from the past. I think that's very much on the table, and it's something that you know as a as a, a technology-faring culture. We're gonna to have to face this. We're gonna to have to ask these these types of difficult questions about, you know, ethics, especially when it comes to like dead people. Like it's one thing to uh to you know to, to consent, you know, to, to having your memories read. It's another thing to be dead and have your memories read because you can't consent anymore. And yet a third thing to not consent, like in this case with Riker, and have your memories read. Um, So I think that that the writers were were very much, you know, looking ahead at the future, going, this is obviously the type of thing we're going to do very soon in the future. And by very soon, I mean, in the next, you know, 50, 100, 200 type of years here, maybe not in my lifetime, but, but certainly, you know, in the future, we're going to get better at this stuff. And we're going to have to ask these types of
0: hard questions. Thank you, you are freaking me out. (laughs) Like, my thought goes immediately to Okay, so if something's reading my mind, then I don't necessarily have control over my how I present myself. Right? So sometimes I have thoughts, and our thoughts are not necessarily our actions. But if if our actions or this whatever is reading our mind um, has a direct access to that, then there's no filter, and uh, that's kind of a scary thought. Uh, it would, yeah. That I am just kind of blown away by that, and and how that could be um, why anybody would consent to that. So that's that's a little bit um, a little bit scary. Uh, I'll move to Sean. Sean, what did you um, think of this episode? If you can remember it, um, I do have a couple more questions uh, to to put to you and T as well, just about um, uh, the the therapy session uh, during this scene. So, what are your thoughts?
4: Um, I I remember this episode. Um, yeah, I thought. Uh, um, Riker had a pretty good, um, you know, he, he was acting pretty well. mean, um, he did the, the, acting was pretty good. Um, and it was interesting. Um, this was the one where they were, um, it wasn't a first contact mission. They were observing the culture and they were blending in and then, um, they found out that he and maybe more were humans from another planet, right? And um, they accused him of this crime that he did not commit. And so um, he was going back and forth between his reality and, and what they were, um, the drugs and what they were uh, saying to him. Is that, is that correct? You got it.
0: Yeah, that's exactly yeah, right. that's right. His mission was to go down and, and blend in. Yeah, there wasn't yeah. a scene of that at any point. But, um, but yeah, exactly he was to blend in, so he had the, the costume of, of the uh, locals.
4: I always thought that having Starfleet do this on worlds was a very, very dangerous thing to do because they're always worried about the prime directive and not interfering with the culture or evolution of a species. And to send people down there and you know, have them do cosplay as the normal aliens when you know, that would be really hard to mimic. Um, I, I've got, you know, you have people on, on the internet that contact you and they're really, you know, they're pretending to be someone they're not, they're trying to sell you cyber currency, they're trying to give you, sell you investments. They, they lie and say they're from the United States. I'm dealing with one person right now, actually. And, um, it's like things give you away, you know? So I always thought that having Starfleet do this was an incredibly dangerous thing to do, risking their crews and also risking breaking the prime directive. So I never understood that. That seemed a little silly to me, but it was good for making episodes and like this one about. And um, yeah, this was Riker's... um, Uh, Jonathan Frakes' uh, time to to shine in acting. I personally think Jonathan Frakes is a much better director than an actor. Yeah, those were just my thoughts. Anyway, go ahead.
0: Oh, thank you. So I I just wanted to cover one more thing from this episode uh, before we we move on. I thought the therapy session where Worf, Troy, and Picard represented parts of Riker's thoughts and feelings was really good. And, uh, I was considering how that might work in real life, having the people in our lives, uh, representing a part of us, because in, in some way that is what happens. Certain people light up certain things in us, whether it's, um, positive things or or negative feelings and thoughts. Um, but they, they're the spark for us and, um, and I, I just wondered if uh, so. This comes at, sort of out of out of left field, but I'm I'm wondering T and and Sean if if you have any thoughts on on the type of therapy sessions that we see, um, and and of course this therapy session in this particular show was it's it's unclear whether it was in his head, whether it was part of his mind, or whether. Uh, um, uh, whether it was actually happening, but I liked the idea of having a person in our lives uh, um, represent, you know, our our fear or our anger or our logic, and uh, I just wanted to put that to the room today. So, so T, do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, the idea of you know, uh, first and foremost, the the. The people who were speaking for him represented an anchor to reality but i think that it, it they were they were tapping into this very very um very metaphorical idea and then doing this very literal interpretation of it and i thought it it was very interesting because um i i like this idea of you know each person in our lives represents a different Set of interpersonal relationships that we have; and those interpersonal relationships take on certain characteristics. So, when you are interacting with Worf, you are interacting with a warrior. You are speaking to a warrior. You are speaking like you are speaking to a warrior, and you are having, you know, a, a conversation that is that is, you know, about strength and and these things. But if you are having a conversation with Diana Troy, you are having a conversation that's all up in your head. It's about what your feelings are. And you're talking about something that's inside of you, and so I like this idea of like personifying, um, you know, my emotions and my interpersonal relationships, in, in and myself through these other people, which uh, you know, w- which gives life to to a part of me in a new way that you know I wouldn't necessarily be able to express myself. So I, I think that that's a very a very powerful narrative device. And I think that um, there is probably, I can think of another episode in which this narrative device was used, um, in which uh, there was a, um, a person and he was a negotiator and he was mute and there were um, three, three aspects of him. Uh, so when, when he went to speak, depending upon what mode he was speaking in, Um, a different person would be doing the talking. And so these three people sort of followed him around. And then anytime he wanted to speak, you know, if he was speaking, you know, in a loving way, the sort of compassionate person would speak up. But then if he was speaking diplomatically, uh, a different person of him would speak up. And this was his modality of communication. So I think that the writers definitely had this idea sort of like firmly cemented in their mind and wanted to, Wanted to play with it some more, and I think this is a good example of utilizing that narrative that that uh, narrative device.
0: Oh yeah, thank you for that. I yeah, I I, I think we're going to have to review that episode as well. Um It just got me thinking that I don't even have to think of the the people in my life; I can think about my inner wharf and my inner Troy and my inner Picard. Um, yeah, so my <laughs> inner Worf. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The next one that we watched, this was also um, great, and that was The Perfect Mate. So T, if you wanna give us a a little bit of a summary on that, uh, and then I'll have a a couple of questions for you.
1: Yeah, definitely. The Perfect Mate was a fun one. Um, Picard was, um, he he was serving as a host for a peace treaty between two warring planets, Um, but he maybe, but he was unable to uh, to resist the reconciliation gift that was being uh, gifted in order to ensure that the peace treaty went through. The gift was a beautiful empathic metamorph who is presented by uh, one of the leaders to the other as a wife. So I chose this episode because Picard tries his damnedest not to fall in love with the beautiful woman who ends up becoming his perfect mate and bonding with him and he has to give her away to someone who doesn't care about her in the slightest, right? And act uh, in in, in an act that seems like psychological torture to him. And it was a case where war was being present, being prevented by the gift of the woman who who could become whomever they needed, thus inverting the trope of psychological warfare by turning the weapon into one of peacekeeping instead of war making so i thought it was cool how they inverted the trope there but then they brought in slavery and the psychological warfare aspect of you know the the people who could do whatever it is the the person who could become whatever it is that the other the other person wanted them to become in order to become their perfect mate how they could use this this weapon of psychology as a, as a weapon of, uh, as a tool of peacekeeping,
0: so. Yeah, you know, just as you were giving that summary, uh, something new occurred to me. Um, like I think we discussed, I, I wouldn't want uh, to, ha- to have a metamorph, that wouldn't be a perfect mate to me, I don't think. But also uh, being around somebody who Either pretended to, or or felt they did, um, to know you better than you knew yourself, would be torturous. I think, right? Um, I think you know so. because, because would you because... know that whether they knew it or not? Because some of our subconscious, like you know, are they are they that good, right?
3: Right, and the
1: thing about Picard at the end, the the end ended with her revealing that she had. Uh, you know, inadvertently bonded with Picard and beca- became his perfect mate. And that, you know, in because she was his perfect mate, she understood the nature of diplomacy. And because she understood the nature of diplomacy, she would not want to give up, as his perfect mate, she would not want to give up that peace um, in order to be with Picard. And so she went ahead and went through with the ceremony, keeping the peace and faking it because she was an empath and could do so because that she was Picard's perfect mate. So I think that, you know, um, I think that there's a, there, there was a lot going on there in terms of what, you know, what was happening with Picard and, uh, and the perfect mate, because his perfect mate was somebody who was ultimately diplomatic And that ended up working out in his favor. And so this was just like, this was just the icing on the psychological warfare torture cake that we were, you know, they were beating the card with. Was not only was she perfect, but she was, you know, absolutely perfect in every way.
4: I would agree with Victoria that um, that would really bother me having a mate like that. I would feel. I, you know, I, that just doesn't seem, the, the mate would not feel real, and you wouldn't be able to trust them as to what their feelings were, and it would be like having um oh, it would just be so annoying in so many different levels.
0: Yeah, it, it's interesting, T, that, that um, I, I think I see it slightly differently, um, and perhaps this is just the, the the mistrust I have in my general life. But, um, you know, at the end there, because she had already shown that she could become what the person wanted them to be, I felt like it wasn't necessarily true. I think you're right about what the writers meant, but there just seems to be this other layer where, Um, I'm just looking at my notes here, Uh, so I I say this correctly. The wedding day discussion between Kamala, the metamorph, and Picard felt the cruelest to me. And I'm not yet convinced that she really bonded with Picard or was saying that because she knew that's what he wanted to hear. Uh, There doesn't seem to be a line that she won't cross, that is... Why tell him they were bonded right before she takes steps to be bonded to somebody else? That seemed either to be a control she didn't have, which means she didn't have autonomy, so that was a worry, or she has control over whether or not she says it and it's just cruel to say it. So it brought up these these questions for me that perhaps I'm just adding in some real life issues there. But... um but, you know i i did really enjoy this and I, for me there was a a i it hit my conflict spot on one hand i was right there with dr crusher thinking that this was human trafficking and yet picard made good points about the federation not getting involved um as well as the metamorph being a willing participant so uh, i'll just welcome anonymous to the stage as well so my question would be then have you ever felt psychologically tortured by someone that you longed for, or by having to do the right thing that that just caused you sort of a long term effect? So, so I'll ask T, and then we'll go to Sean and and anybody else. So, so T, have have you ever felt psychologically tortured? I mean, what a cruel question. I know, but if you want yeah. to share, that would be great. It's
1: a it's a great. I mean, it's a, this is the stuff I live for. I mean you know, a lot of clubhouse rooms were, were not asking these types of really hard questions, but I love that this, you're, you're swinging the bat and you're swinging at full force. So I think that's, that's good. Um, yeah. I think that there was, you know, a, a couple times in my life where, um, you know, I, I remember growing up having, having crushes on, on girls and, you know, being close friends and being in the friend zone and being just, you know, being just, feeling tortured by by not having a a closer relationship with them and you know eventually I I grew out of that you know as I sort of grew up and and matured emotionally I I grew out of that but um you know that there were other times where I felt like you know uh you know I, I feel like uh Picard was in a Kobayashi Maru here and I feel like there's a lot of uh, uh, parallels to the Kobayashi Maru. Like the card was very much in a no-win situation, um, you know, and, and he had to do the sacrifice thing in order to, you know, to to you know no, nothing nothing you know if he if he gives her away he loses because he doesn't get the perfect mate, and if he if he uh, you know if he uh, if he keeps you know if he falls in love with her and keeps her for herself, he causes war, and you know he's not even sure that this would be the perfect thing anyway, and yet he's. You know, psychologically longing for her, so I identify with that. I feel like there are times when, you know, I had to had to do the right thing, um, like with a with a with a relationship. Like I had to say goodbye, or I had to, um, you know, end a relationship, and and that that stuck with me. That that felt like, you know, like I hated to do that. Like it it, it made me feel like I was a horrible person. For, for months and even years after doing that. So I remember, you know, feeling like I was doing the right thing and this was horrible. I, I definitely um feel like the, the, the writers and Picard captured that that human moment very well
0: Thank you. Thank you for that. I, I appreciate your vulnerability here. Uh Sean does this bring up anything for you?
4: Well I must be s- simplistic um I can't remember any time in my life where I've had this psychological warfare going on um, i you know there's 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 great emotions and uh, hormones and stresses and and complications and um, failed marriage and all kinds of stuff but um I'm not looking at it from the same perspective i think um to me, that those were just challenges in life, and people are very complex. They have good sides and bad sides, good points and bad points. You know, most marriages and and broken relationships, um, it's never one person's fault. It could be more one person's fault than the other, but there's always something going on with the other person. Usually, there's always two sides of, of a coin. Um, rarely does it just fall right on its edge and stay there. So. Um, so I I, don't, I can't think of anything, you know, I've dealt with people that have greatly disillusioned me um, and responded in a way that I was not expecting and I sort of wonder what's going on in their mind and their psyche, but I can't know that and it's hard to walk in another person's moccasins for a mile or two, um, although I think we should all try to understand you know, the reality that the other person has experienced. We're all experiencing our own versions of reality in our own bodies as we go through life. And um, sometimes they conflict with other people and some people jump to conclusions. And yes, there's all these psychological aspects going on. And um, sometimes it seems like chaos theory being played out, but I think it's just part of life and uh yeah that's that's how i look at things at least
0: well i very much appreciate your contribution um and it feels uh nice to have somebody with some wisdom <laughs> i'm i'm highly emotional and um you know i suspect that there are times when we're causing the pain to ourselves and building something into something it's not, which is causing the torture. So it's really us who causes the torture <laughs> to ourselves. And um, you know, I, I've in romance, I've had the the um, opportunities to feel infatuation, and um, and I sometimes have to realize that this infatuation is building something into something it's not. Even if I'm in a relationship with somebody, um, I have to bring it back down to earth to, to realize all of the things that you just said, that we're human and, and, um, and that there are, you know, two, two sides to even the thinnest pancake. So what does all of this uh, mean? Like uh, when I was looking through this and the, the topic of psychological warfare, I found that a lot of this stuff on a, on a small scale reminded me of the term gaslighting. And that's a a form of psychological manipulation in which the abuser attempts to sow self-doubt and confusion in their victim's mind. Typically, gaslighters are seeking to gain power and control over the other person by distorting reality uh, and forcing them to question their own judgment and intuition the other thing that i found which was interesting and i'm just going to put to the room was i I think that there was a, a star trek game or something and there was a power that a person could could gain a trait that they could earn and it was psychological it was called psychological warfare and the details of it I found interesting. And that was, it improves the effectiveness of all your abilities, which control the enemy. This includes all of the following effects confuse, disable, hold, knock, placate, repel, root, and slow. And when I read that, I thought, how weird that would be to be in a game where you're given the power to uh, affect psychological warfare on another player. Now I understand that there are all these games that have um you know shoot 'em up games and all of that. But somehow it hit me when I read that 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 just seemed even crueler of a practice. Instead of practicing target, you're targeting the the mind not the body. So I I just wanted to put that out there to the room to find out whether do you think that that psychological warfare, psychological torture is uh, worse than than the physical? So I'll put that to tea first and then maybe the rest of the room can pipe in. That's an interesting
1: question. Um, I hadn't thought of that before. You mentioned gaslighting and I did just want to touch on that briefly before I, I address your question directly. Gaslight uh, uh, came from the uh, 1944 movie Um, of the same name called Gaslight. And what it it was was that, you know, somebody was trying to, you know, tell what would happen is something would happen, and then, you know, between two people, and then one person would tell the other person that it didn't happen, right? And this the, the goal was to cause them to question their grip on reality. To make them think that they are, you know, misremembering things constantly. To to make them think they're they're literally crazy. And this 1944 movie, black and white, was a really powerful movie. It was a really potent scene, um, you know, really potent set of acting in which these characters, you know, one character was gaslighting the other character and trying to make them feel like they were you know, quite literally losing their grip on reality. Um, and I, it, it, it was one of those, you know, as a result of the movie, that term in turn entered our um, colloquial speech. And I thought that was always, you know, an interesting piece of trivia. What was the specific question that you had asked, Victoria? Because I want to answer your specific question.
0: Oh, yeah, great. And thank you for that, um, that roundup on that, because I, I appreciate that. Um, and welcome Ryan to the stage as well. Uh, the question was, uh, when I found this description of this trait that you could earn in this game of psychological warfare, um, and I imagined myself using it in a game, it felt crueler than a shoot 'em up game. And so I just wondered if, if the rest of the stage or anybody wanting to comment felt that psychological torture is worse than physical torture
1: right that was the question Um, having been through a a lot of physical pain I was I was in a recent motorcycle accident in which I had my right arm nearly ripped off Um, I would have to say yes that the psychological torture actually ends up leaving deeper scars because the physical pain tends to just get blocked out it's one of those things that you tend to not really remember it's one of those things that your mind just sort of you know creates a block on but the psychological warfare that's the stuff that that really impacts you it isn't the it isn't the pain that uh, you know of, the, of having your arm ripped off it's the 21 days in the hospital that really hurt. That really screw you up in the head, right? That's the part that, that you take with you. Um, that that you know makes you makes you crazy in the future, right? I don't think it's the pain or the physical torture that really um, that really hurts people the most. I think it's the psychological effects of that pain, or simply the psychological effects. Period that, that end up making you, you know, that
3: end up really hurting the most. When, um, Hey folks.
0: Hey, um, hi Ryan. Go ahead.
3: A, a really good example of that was that, um, back in the late seventies, early eighties, there was a man in, in Nevada who, uh, with his ham radio. He was a pilot. He was, a, you know, all these things, right. With his ham radio, started getting, uh, started intercepting messages from the air force, and started believing that the air force had UFO alien technology, and so he goes to the air force back and says, "Hey, look, I've been I've been getting these radio waves. Uh, I think I'm I'm listening into some of your guys' conversations, and uh, it's really freaking me out. And you know, I I'm an honest patriot. I just want to be honest with you." the air Force uh, uses Air Force intelligence to start feeding misinformation to this gentleman who and they start leading him to believe that the air Force has little green men in area 51 to the point where this person very successful business person you know a, a stand-up person in their community uh ends up penniless in a insane asylum because of the deliberate actions of gaslighting this dude over periods of time to make him believe in nonsense. And so that has a huge effect in people, whether it be religious indoctrination or misinformation to hide the stealth bomber.
0: Wow. Um, Thank you for that share. So that that's a brilliant true thing. Yeah,
1: thank you. Thank you,
3: Ryan. Yeah, it's, it's a real thing, and uh, there's a documentary about it.
0: Why did they do it?
3: They wanted to keep their secrets. And so a person who has half the information can be dealt with if you just feed them gobbledygook. And then it, it all gets mixed up like a salad. So the, the 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 crazy stuff is mixed in with the factual stuff. And if they talk, they sound like a crazy person and especially if they've been encouraged by air force intelligence agents over a long period of time these people and these agents think of themselves as friends to this guy when they're literally forcing him to go insane so and where did they learn those tactics i wonder right because the church did it first and so uh, the, the psychological torture is, I, I, I will agree, has longer lasting effects. Um, because I too was not an accident. My arm wasn't ripped off, but one of my fingers was was violently ripped off. And, and people ask, oh, well, did it hurt? It's like, well, yeah, but I went into shock and I don't remember it. And so the human body can withstand an enormous amount of physical damage and pain. Uh, but it has a hard time reckoning with psychological damage. And so I want to reinforce what what T and Victoria was saying is, is correct and accurate from my experience.
1: Thank you Ryan. I, I cannot I cannot believe how powerful and and just, you know, topical and excellent that that was. Thank you.
4: Um I have a low pain threshold. Um psychologically I can block things out of my mind and my past pretty well. Um, the idea of being in a hospital for weeks to recover and then having a, an arm that doesn't work or fingers that are missing or an arm that's missing, that would bother me for the rest of my life and that would be hard to block out because I would see it every day for me personally. So I think the physical pain or physical damage would be even worse because it would cause psychological damage in my mind. But for just purely psychological versus physical injuries, I think um, I would much rather have the, the, um, the, the psychological I can, I can navigate around, but the, the physical has long-term effects, which would be a problem in my particular instance.
1: Yeah, and I want to I back you up there, Sean. And I do want to welcome um, Bishop to the stage, someone who I have a, a great deal of respect for. And I want to get uh, his opinion in just one second, but I do want to just you know talk about what it is you're talking about. Um, last year in September, I was um, taking my best friend home on my motorcycle, and I hit the um, uh, hit the, uh, the the front of the the railing head on at 55 miles an hour, not wearing any armor or anything, and that's the result that you know that you get when you do something stupid like that. Number one, you don't wear armor. Number two, you put somebody uh, inexperienced on the back of your of your uh, of your of your crotch rocket, your, your Hayabusa, your your you know bike that does 230 miles an hour right And so it, it, it was a dumb move and I don't have the use of my right arm as a result right And that is the psychological damage that ultimately ends up being longer term, then I can take, you know, I can take painkillers to get rid of the pain, but the lack of the use of my right arm, that's the psychological damage that, that you take with you. Right? So yeah, I, I wanna back up what you're saying and what Ryan is saying and, and I wanna welcome Bishop to the stage. Uh we're talking uh Victoria, do you want to go ahead and give the reset?
0: Uh, thanks, T. This is Star Trek Sundays on Clubhouse. We're discussing psychological warfare, and we've discussed a few episodes of Star Trek: Chain of Command, Frame of Mind, and The Perfect Mate. And now we're just having a a general discussion. I had put out to the to the uh, to the room, and I am very interested in what Bishop has to say on this. But the the current question is, is psychological damage worse than physical damage, or psychological torture worse than physical torture? And and Sean and T have created a lot of subsequent questions for me to ask, but I am very interested in hearing from Bishop, because I understand, Bishop, you've got a bit of a military background, and I'm wondering if you have some thoughts on this.
2: Yeah, so um, both, both cause trauma. Uh, it's kind of hard to differentiate between physical and psychological torture. Um, There are tortures that can be like purely psychological, but it'll leave effect on the body like the trauma, the trauma symptoms will be seen in the body. So like uh, it kind of it it causes trauma either way.
0: Yeah, I think that's uh, and, you know, we hadn't really brought up the word trauma. and, And I think that that's the the long lasting effect of either of these things. We've seen and here on Clubhouse. That,
2: I'm sorry, Victoria. Real quickly, I, I'm not i I'm not a knowledgeable source on psychological warfare. I mean, I was in the inventory. Um, We didn't study psychological warfare, so everything I know about it, I've learned from like YouTube videos, hearing other people speak about it, but nothing directly.
0: Oh, sure. No, I I, I appreciate that um, that that extra bit. We're we're just talking about our own personal thoughts on these things because I, I I tend to think that. The psychology of it, and and when you brought up the word trauma, we we hear in some of the rooms that we've shared, or some of the other rooms here on Clubhouse about the trauma people have a childhood trauma, um, and and those are long lasting. I'm in rooms with people who are trying to heal from things that were said to them over and over again as kids, and and even some of the things that I've Um, gone through with either parents or friends or uh, former uh, lovers, whatever. Some of the things that they've said sit in my mind more forward than they should, but far more forward than the memory of me breaking my leg. And it took me six months to recover from that. And I was still using a cane for months after I got rid of the boot cast and after the regular cast and um, and then rehabilitation. It was uh, over a year. And yet until we talk about this, I forget about that, but I don't forget the things that are said to me and the things that I start believing about myself. Um, and so, um, and then I feel, like I said earlier, that I perpetuate that t- torture. I continue to torture myself with it long after these people who initiated it are gone. And, and Ryan, I think brought up a really good um, sort of analogy and that is, uh, and perhaps we'll have a whole, whole uh, show on this, but um, that is religion. And how religion um, is a, a, well, I do consider indoctrination um, abuse, and um, so maybe we can talk about that. But uh, welcome to the stage, Joshua and Fatty. Did you have some comments?
5: Yeah, thank you for having me. I think the the question of psychological versus physical. I, I think your point is spot on in terms of um, you know the 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 ability that psychological. Uh, Warfare has to haunt you for for perhaps a longer time. I Think um, some question like if you were to just kind of do a brute comparison, which is really difficult to do But you know, if you're trying to just kind of compare both To some in some respects it, it boils down to how equipped is the individual? to cope with either one um, you know, there are some people that have high pain tolerances, like physical pain tolerances for certain things. And, you know, there are some some people that have high coping mechanisms mentally, and it's not a judgment. It's just a kind of a reflection of where people are in different places based on different attacks. So I, I think of it from a sense of it's it's more about, um, the, the kind of defense mechanisms in some respects than it is about the actual type of warfare.
0: Good points. Thank you. Uh, Joshua, did you have something to add? Yeah, <clears throat> um, it's a great rumor. Um I would just say, you know, the only thing <clears throat> that I notice with a lot of psychological
1: warfare is it's pretty much designed to disorient people you know i think the overall goal of it is to achieve a state where people cannot differentiate between true or false you know fact or not a fact things like that you know it's it's to create fuzzy logic because by doing this you know they can perpetuate whatever is true and control and control the consensus this way
3: agreed when and, and another really good example of the sort of difference between psychological warfare and physical warfare is is uh I'm on TikTok a lot, and uh, I find myself on ex-Mormon TikTok a lot. These folks that have emancipated themselves from this predatory religion. And one of the things they they constantly talk about is is that this religion and this indoctrination shapes you to be a certain persona, right? So you're never your authentic self. You're always playing this character. But that's difficult to deprogram from. It's it's difficult to and and that's something that I I constantly recently have been thinking a lot about when I'm talking to uh, very sort of cruel aggressive theists uh, trying to prove their point by by being cruel. It's like well, that's a trauma response. They have been traumatized. Like I think about uh, Darth Dawkins sometimes, and I think about how terrible that dude's childhood must have been and how he talks to people someone must have talked to him that way and he learned that that's what got him to act a certain way so he treats others to act the way he wants them to act and it's it's tragic in that respect right that so many of us are operating from a point of just trauma response versus like our authentic selves and I'll bring this back to Star Trek because when, after Picard gets absorbed into the Boer collective, he is reshaped. He is this other person like these Mormons find themselves a lot of the times, being this other person. And uh, I was happy that they did that episode where he goes back to France and hangs out with his brother and his nephew. Because up to that point, we had never seen members of the federation truly dealing with trauma response it was always these logs after the fact where kirk is like well this should happen and i've dealt with it so it it, i'm happy that star trek finally got to the point in the 90s to be like no this this shit leaves scars this will traumatize you literally for the rest of your life and without the proper coping mechanisms they can sink you so yeah
1: yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I want to amplify everything that Ryan said. Um, I, I, I can think of the episode where um, Picard is, assimilated. Uh, um, first of all, like you mentioned, assimilated and becomes Lacutis of Borg. But prior to that happening, he becomes, um, uh, he, he gets, you know, taken, his mind gets taken over by a probe and he lives out his entire life. Like, Grows old, and, and, and you know, learns all these skills, and, and you know, lives on this planet in the course of like you know, two hours or whatever it was, and he takes back those memories, like playing the the pan flute or whatever it was that he that he continues to play. Right, that type of that type of psychological execution, that type of psychological, you know going through an entire life and learning all of those skills, you know, and then coming back and then you're, you're back in your normal life again. Right. You know where you started. And and so there's, that is that to him carried over into multiple episodes where he continued to have, You know, these these skills of playing the flute and these memories of living out his life. And this was what shaped him as a person, as a character. It became a part of who he was as Captain Picard.
4: That was a great episode. One of my very favorite episodes.
3: When it's, it almost made me start crying because it's like, every time he's playing the flute he's mourning for the wife and children he had and for the grandchildren he had in that other life like just imagine that like the type of discipline that picard would have to have to just not be a puddle of goo on the ground all the time holy shit!
4: and the realization that the whole species died um, that whole you know everyone that he was in contact with that he grew up with in the in the matter of less than an hour or maybe it was 20 minutes it was some incredibly short time that he experienced the the other lifetime and all of his interpersonal relationships with his family but then all the other members of the uh, society in which he found himself in and and uh, the their scientific efforts was just to get um a a rocket launch that would you know contain the mechanisms so that someone they would not be a forgotten race amongst the stars, but that others could relive um you know their their society and uh, that was just incredible
0: well, thank you for all of the shares that were just given. um I'm really, really touched. And I'm smiling, and the reason I'm smiling is from the start, as I said, this is a passion project for T and me, and part of the reason that this interests me so much is what I've just seen here on this stage, which is a tremendous amount of compassion being shown and understanding for others, empathy, and that is what I find in people who like Star Trek generally, and um, why having conversations about the themes that are uh, displayed and presented in Star Trek uh, just gets to some really um, heartfelt discussions. So I just appreciate all of you and, and um, on what you've shared and the compassion with which you've shared it. So I just wanted to acknowledge that right now. This is Star Trek Sundays, Club on Clubhouse, and today we were talking about psychological warfare, and I just want to talk a little bit about the next couple of weeks, Uh, and Director, I did invite you up on stage. You were here last week, and if you had some thoughts on psychological warfare, I'll invite you to speak in just a few minutes. Um, T has curated uh, next week and the week after (laughs) for us, and next week we're going to be discussing uh, the sacrifice of leadership. And uh, T, we've got three, uh, th- uh, three. It's not episodes. I think we've got a movie and two episodes to watch. Did you want to um, talk about that, or or leave your 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 curation for as a surprise, and we'll talk about it next week? Oh
1: no, let's talk about it definitely on nine four, which is uh, September fourth. We're going to be doing the sacrifice of leadership. Um, the first one is the movie Star Trek Into Darkness. This is the reboot of the uh, of the classic Star Trek series, in which they invert the trope of um, uh, Spock going into the warp core, and Con- and uh, Kirk goes in instead and sacrifices himself. Um, the second one is the Quality of Mercy, which is a episode um, from. Uh, uh, strange new worlds which is the new series from uh that's on paramount right now you can stream it on uh on there and then the third one is the first duty which is uh, a tng episode um about uh, uh following an incident uh at the academy with wesley where he tries to do a stunt in the uh in his uh, with his with his crew with the five with the four other teammates, and ends up killing someone. So I'm excited for that. Then after that, we're going to be doing loyalty and betrayal, and I don't have all of the episodes for that yet, but I certainly will in the next coming days here. So if you go to um, Star Trek Sundays which is the pinned link at the top, we've got a brand new website. If you then click on the menu, if you're on a mobile, you click on the upper right hand. Side to bring up the, bring up the menu. If you're on a computer, it should just be you know up at the top there, and you can click on up, upcoming missions, and it'll tell you all of the episodes that we have upcoming. So in the future, if you want to find out you know what's coming up, uh, you can go there. You can also buy some merchandise, which I'm pretty excited about. If you go to the trading outpost on Star Trek we've got some T-shirts, a mug, and a couple posters for sale, and. Uh, a little bit of that does support your captain here. So I do hope that you will uh, show your love for Star Trek and show your love for Star Trek Sundays. Um, And hopefully if we can get, you know, things rolling here, we hope to be doing uh, more of this type of stuff in the future where we're, uh, you know, potentially giving away stuff, but we'll leave that for, for much later episodes and talk about more of what's coming in the future, in the future. But Hopefully you'll uh, go to the website and check things out there. Uh, oh, the other thing that I probably should plug is that uh, we have the um, Captain Radborn's log, which I'm really excited about because uh, Victor- Captain, Vic- Captain Radborn here, our Victoria, is going to be writing about um, the episodes. And so I'm really excited for that as sort of a, a, a personal breakdown of her thoughts about how the show went and and what's coming up. And I'm gonna be doing a little bit of hosting there myself. So really exciting things are coming and I hope to have more coming for you in the future.
0: Uh, thanks T. <laughs> it, ha- it has been lots of fun. Uh, Ryan, I saw you on mic.
3: Well, so uh, s- still on topic, but slightly s- shifting the room. Um, I want to see who who here can agree that the movie uh, First Contact was a f- a full global Star Trek reboot, and that everything since then has been in this reboot universe. That is the current prime universe, uh, because oh, a lot of people, oh, yeah. right?
0: Strange
3: New worlds, right? Yeah, yeah, like Strange New World, Enterprise. Well, Enterprise. Um, Discovery, Strange New Worlds, all that is taking place after Picard went back in time and helped Zephyr and Cochran uh, achieve warp. Um, and there's been these downstream effects since then, right? So because a lot of people will be like, oh, the, the the Discovery or Strange New Worlds is in is in a parallel universe. It's like, well, not really. It's It is the main continuity that was reset by Picard
1: yeah I I definitely want to do an episode on um, time travel and sort of you know plot continuity and I haven't quite come up with the angle on it yet but I think that I think that you have a a really good point there and I think it's a a, definitely a topic that that we should pick up in a future episode because I think we're probably going to um, wrap up this and I do want to give the director um, an opportunity to speak
2: wow uh, i appreciate the deference and the uh, invitation um you know uh i'm excited for the ones about the commander's responsibility uh that i think that's great that episode where wesley uh has to live with the consequences of um getting caught up in wanting to be impressive that uh you know, things go off the rails and he has to deal with the real, real consequences It is one of my favorite episodes. I thought it was, uh, that was one of the better, uh, Star Trek, uh, new generation episodes. Uh, so I, I'm excited for that. Um, I'm not really sure what else I should be, uh, reacting to I mean, there's the episode where, um, Jean-Luc is taken under the, by the Kardashian, uh, Kardashians. <laughs> Kardashians. Um, you know, that episode felt very real about an idea of how your mind gets manipulated. Uh, and it seemed very much styled off of some of the training that you receive if you take uh, Seer School, uh, which is... Uh, search and evasion uh escape and rescue class for the military um it's it feels very analogous to the way they describe um the goals of torture um so you know and then the idea that the things we tie uh, that we put in our sci-fi affecting the the general populace in a way where these ideas get recirculated. Um, you know, from our subconscious and we become convinced of them because we have these memories of when we were younger and we watched something and we didn't have the filter of knowing it was make-believe, right? And so we take in these things at a, a very, very, very early age and, and don't necessarily know how to um, separate the magical thinking from our memories of childhood. And then just like memories get reinforced by discussing them with family, you see these episodes over and over again. And then you also tell these stories. So yeah, I could, could see see um, how sci fi can uh, infect the mind and convince them of things that they maybe uh, didn't experience. Uh, I think that's possible. But studies have shown that you don't really have false memories that you as soon as you're told that's a false memory your your mind starts error correcting for it so you know that's that's the thing like how much it it feels really good being a sci-fi writer understanding that my writing can push society in in any direction Right. Gives me a lot of power to believe that I can affect people on a grand scale. And if I affect people negatively, then I can affect people positively because something that can heal must also be able to hurt. You know, a a scalpel is used to both heal and to cut open the flesh. So. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's both something we should be cognizant about and how we tell stories and the kinds of stories but i don't think we should take ourselves so seriously that we are unable to create because of fear of pushing you know a swayable mind down the dark scare uh staircase to enlightenment you know sometimes you gotta you gotta The story of Dorian Gray, I've been thinking about this a lot, and I know this doesn't have anything to do with Star Trek, but I feel that it it does. Um, Dorian Gray is typically taken as a story of don't trust a beautiful face because it hides evil. Right. But what I think it is, is if you are a beautiful person, like the world treats you with an expectation. That is shaped by something you were born with, and you may take great effort in perfecting your body or whatever, so I'm not saying that 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 beauty is doesn't take effort. What I'm saying is is that beauty seems to hide the fact that we're all the same creatures inside, and ugly people just get told how ugly they are all the time you know um that's a harsh thing to say it's a harsh thing to hear like. The fact that we have an idea of an ugly versus beauty and that beautiful people are supposed to be ugly on the inside and ugly people are supposed to be beautiful on the inside. And then often, sometimes our faces actually do show who we are. I don't know. These are difficult. Conundrums to chase, but that's what makes some great fiction and great fodder for telling stories because it gets us to think about these things. This is just where my brain is at on a sunday morning and uh thank you very much i'll land my
1: plane yeah welcome to church star trek sundays this is our this is our church (laughs) Uh, The
0: the, the director holy cats uh i am so glad that we have replays on because i am going to listen to that you've given me so much to uh think about uh personally as well because as you said we don't have false memories but we have these beliefs about ourselves. And who's perpetuating that? I had said earlier, like, you know, I'm still repeating in my head the things that long gone people have said to me. So I'm the one torturing myself, right? And and, and then back to the perfect mate in some way, the perfect mate, she was beautiful, right? Uh, on the outside, but then it was all her actions that made her the perfect mate. But what would have happened if she, she wasn't actually a beautiful hominid creature, right? What if she was, if she looked something else that they weren't used to, but could have all of those, um, that empathy and become that, the inside. Perfect mate. Uh, how would that have been? So, there's you've really done an excellent job at bookending <laughs> this complete uh, uh, show this morning. So, I really appreciate that. Um, before I wrap up and close the room, uh, T, did you have anything to add?
1: No, I think that this was just a, an absolutely fantastic discussion. I was so excited for, you know, psychological warfare and Again, the audience delivered well above and beyond. We're talking total apogee stuff here. Thank you, guys. You rock. I love you. I'm so excited for next week uh, when we're doing uh, the sacrifice of leadership. And I really hope to see you in the hallways.
0: Thank you, T. Yeah, you guys have just it brought it. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, T and I can talk about what we want to talk about a little bit, but um, having everybody on stage be vulnerable and compassionate and, and sharing your ideas just brings this to another level for me. So I'm, I'm really touched and really grateful. So thank you very much. This is Star Trek Sundays, and today we were discussing psychological warfare. Next week, we're going to discuss the sacrifice of leadership. Thank you again, everybody, and be sure to check out StarTrekSundays.com. Thanks very much, and have a great day.
3: Bye.
1: Bye.